Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. This right here is a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Recording on Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca, what's, uh, what's going on? Hello, hello. Mm. Feels like summer. It's quiet in the book news this week. It is. A little bit light on the agenda. And I had Oreos for lunch, so that's like fully did where you? I am today. I did. did you, Michelle texted me. This, we do this thing where, you know, since we're both working from home, we just, I, I guess maybe other humans do this, where we didn't really, before pandemic, have a text each other while we're in the same kind of general area relationship, mm. right? You know, we, so, but now it's turned into that because I'm up in, you know, on, in my, in my, on my desk, my setup up in our bedroom and she's down in our dining table. And so we're, we're a couple floors and one way away. So she texted me this link to Oreos trying out, Oreos are trying out this new packaging where it makes your Oreo <laughs> snack pack looks less like cookies. So it doesn't get stolen while you're at work or other places. Right? It makes it look like wet naps or... <laughs> Cashy bars or kale crisp or oh, stuff like that. So at first glance, it doesn't have that recognizable, you know, the the the, the Pavlovian <laughs> saliva Oreo response you see when you see that bright blue packaging with the you know with the the cookie and the white. It's a very when you think about it, it's a very primal sort of image from childhood, right? It's like that's what an Oreo. You know, without even the branding, like that's an Oreo cookie thing. So you can switch it up a little bit and you can put it in the refrigerator. You can put it in the backpack. You can put it on the shelf. Maybe even hide it from your children, right? You put it with all of your other like supplements and, you know, granola mm-hmm. and things they don't like. They they don't see it. You, you can purloin letter the, the Oreo cookies there. I feel there. like if you are at the place where you're having to generate camouflage packaging for the junk food mm-hmm. that you produce, you have really like crossed a threshold into like success as yes. a provider of junk food. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's the pinnacle so of brand, right? When you need to is. do something like that. It is. Yeah, we... Um, have sort of a perpetual are there oreos in the house Mm. um and you know inevitably there aren't when you really want them to be but when they're here and it's the middle of summer there's something very like revert to childhood about this time of summer for me like i can't spend my days just in a swimming pool eating goldfish by the handful um (laughs) but i can have oreos for lunch i'm a grown-up the most remarkable thing about what you just said is not about the Oreos for lunch. It's that, that you and Bob don't actually know exactly how many Oreos are in the house at any time. Because I got to tell you, when it, I'll forget people's I've known for a long time. Name, where I met them from, my kids' birthdays. But I can tell you right now what kinds of ice creams are in the freezer, their relative fill level. Like I could, I could, If you gave me a dummy carton of all the ice cream, I could mark on the side with a Sharpie how full it is, how many Little Debbie oatmeal cream pies are left in the box on the top of the microwave, what the chip situation is in all of our three chip bags. Uh, it's just... It's, I can't not know this. It's just, it's there. It's just in the background. It's just there all the time. I cannot, Uh, it's like those people who, you know, if you trade stocks for a living or something like that, you have the ticker tape going and you're always, that's in my brain. Where, what's our snack status? Where are the snacks? What's, what am I not eating right now? What could I eat later? Yeah, I don't have that about the Oreos. But this is why I do always know if there are Doritos in the house and how many Doritos there are. Yeah. And yeah. if someone has touched them since the last time that <laughs> the I The nice thing them. about Doritos is that there's like an early warning system because those bags are so effing loud. Like you can't <laughs> yes. sneak eat a Dorito Wait, out of a bag. Are you in the Doritos? Those are my Doritos. <laughs> in a way, all Doritos are my Doritos. I guess that's my problem. <laughs> That's what this is. What this sort of uh, adi- this is what this running inventory is about. Bring me some bacon and eggs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, do you do... Well, this is something my brother introduced me to with Doritos. Where really, you can tell how light the agenda is. Um, <laughs> Doritos, but you use coleslaw as a dip? Is that a thing you know about? Is that a No, thing I've never heard of that, but it, I'm open to it. Next um, time you're opening one of the many nachos that you have in a spreadsheet, keeping track of how many full... And also, <laughs> I guess another thing that's important to note is not just how full the bag is, but what's the relative ratio of like full-size chips to like the dust and remnant stuff at the bottom yeah. right mm-hmm. um take a full-size dorito and i i recommend as generic a chemically pre-produced coleslaw thing as you can find Perfect. at the store Got and it. just take a nacho cheese dorito this doesn't work for ranch it, that's garbage no one does yeah that. can't handle nacho that. cheese take is a God's nacho preferred cheese. flavor of doritos that's right yes. it's the canonical dorito show title um <laughs> you dip it in like it's just dip and just see how that see how that works for you. I'm into this. I like it. Yeah. You know, I did some cooking experiments in early COVID just to, you know, occupy myself while everybody was squirrely. And one of the things that I did was bread chicken tenders in crushed up Doritos instead of in breadcrumbs. Huge fan. That business was delicious. I think you've learned well from, I assume, like you did. Like I have a very robust culinary memory of church potlucks. Oh, and yes. one of the mm-hmm. things we did, we, the royal we of Protestants in the Midwest, <laughs> was crush up random things and put them on top of cheese-based casseroles. Oh, right. Do people even eat bags of whole Ruffles potato chips? Because I'm pretty sure that they just exist to be crushed up on top of a casserole. <laughs> yeah. French's onions. Cornflakes. You know, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Just there's a whole... I, I encountered, and I hadn't seen it for a long time because I don't look for it. There's these little, I'm not even sure, they come in their, like their own bespoke They're canister. Like a, I've never seen can, it any. Yeah. Well, this, this is a, related to that. This is the potato sticks. Is this something you're familiar with? Oh, no, but it sounds like I should be. They're not, they're like dehydrated french fries or something. Like, I don't know what they are. <laughs> they don't keep them next to the chips section. So you're not supposed huh. to eat them sort of independently. Like you're, you just use them for stuff. And I think their sole purpose is to crush up and put on top of green bean casserole-related <laughs> objects or anything you put a Campbell's Cream of X soup into. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's an it's additional option for getting some crunch on the top. And all that crunch is doing is trying to distract you from the <laughs> fact that you are eating c- cooked cream with a spoon. That's all that's doing. <laughs> on top of some kind of starch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, there's some kind of maybe starch in there, a layer mm-hmm. of cheese, which is basically yeah. oh. rendered fat, and then yeah. cream of something in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, there's a there's either like a tater tot or maybe there's like, my dad makes a breakfast casserole with shredded biscuits yeah. or like torn up pieces of biscuit. So you get some kind of starch layer, you get your cheese, you get your cream of whatever, yes. <laughs> you crunch up some chips on top. It's unbelievable. If you're feeling really froggy, you get the French's onions. I've never really thought about it in those terms, though. I know it, much like I know how much Tillamook chocolate ice cream is in the, the half-court container <laughs> downstairs, is that there is sort of like a golden ratio for church pot, pot luck casseroles. Like, I've been doing, like, mm-hmm. mixed drinks over the summer, like tiki, and they're sort of like a standard tiki drink kind of recipe. You know, how many parts weak, how many parts strong, how many parts sour to how many parts sweet. And you... Basically, you're falling within a threshold there. I think the cat, the Midwestern potluck casserole has a similar thing. How many parts yes. cheese? How many parts <laughs> cream? How many parts starch? How many parts crumbly, salted, MSG, <laughs> red number five colored chip yep. crush mm-hmm. thing on the top? And it all kind of, you have some play within that, but that's that's what you're really looking at here. That, that's, yeah. that's the paint by calorie it's formula you're really looking paint for. Paint by calorie. It's true. It's the Midwestern version of salt, fat, acid, heat. <laughs> yes. Cream cheese, crunchy cheese. starch. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for our cookbook yeah. available for pre-order soon. That's right. Oh, uh, man. Sponsored by Candace. <laughs> um, all right. Let's do an ad Obviously. break. Obviously. Uh, all right. Let's do an ad break and try to recover from that. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. 
Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right, let's do some feedback time. Got a really good, had a little bit of a back, a friendly back and forth with a listener about, um, I was using last week, we were talking about Dogman being the best-selling mm-hmm. book of the year. You had asked me, is this something that's going to be sort of not just a best-selling beloved sort of thing you remember reading as a kid, but kind of tr- ascend into, transcend into the... Mm-hmm kids canon but also is also kind of a still a good thing a a enjoyable read for parents older people later maybe you don't have i think the real test is would you read it and have some affinity for it if you didn't have to read it to your kid later right (laughs) Right. like in whatever situation that would be and um this listener said well you know i've 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 pre-ordered the new babysitter's club graphic novel i'm watching the babysitter's club series that's out on netflix which my family enjoyed i should say um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure it really falls into the example pool of things you, you know, when I was a child, right, <laughs> and yes, I did yeah. childish things. And maybe, and I said, well, that's interesting. And I asked, well, did, are you going back to read the original Babysitter Club book? Maybe mm-hmm. you are. She just, she, they, he hadn't mentioned that. And they, and they said, well, you know, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I'm not right now. So I think the expanded IP is so to to use the same example, if Dogman expanded out into different mediums that then were kind of aging up with people a little bit differently, mm-hmm. maybe it could do that. But the original text themselves, I still think the original Babysitter Club text themselves, I think are of a time and a place in, in a reader's life and don't really transport into different parts of the reader's life. They don't, I think like yeah. Winnie the Pooh is the example I use. You get something different out of that when you're an adult uh, than you do when you're a kid. And there's, I'm not sure as reading a 44 year old fan, if you were a fan of Babysitter's Club, you're going to go back and read those and be like, yeah, look, look, look at the depth that's actually here for me. Much like I'm not going back and reading Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew, which I loved as a kid, but as an adult, kind of a tough hang anymore. Outside yeah. Of well, I think I think revisiting or going back to the franchise, but in a new form like this person is doing, especially with your kids, is a totally different question than would you just as a grown adult go back and read those original books by yourself for the sake of like nostalgia and revisiting and still getting Mm -hmm. something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting point is that in, in, in the old olden times before Basically, all IP could live forever and be reinvented and reimagined and remixed and regenerified and remediumized forever. There was a time that once Little House on the Prairie and Laura Ingalls Wilder was dead, it was dead. Except, I guess there were TV shows. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I mean, now I'm rethinking. Maybe that's a terrible <laughs> example because there were TV shows and stuff about that later. Um, I don't know. But, but there's a perpetual present for IP that has any juice at all that I think is going to change the game, right? Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there becomes a chapter book, Dogman book for kids that are 12, 13, 14 who grew up with Dogman as, you know, early readers. Or there becomes, I don't know, graphic novels a little bit later, or video games, or a limited run Netflix series for teenagers, or I, I, I don't know. It's hard to imagine Dogman having sort of like adult appropriate content integrated into it, but could it be mm. where, I, I don't know, could it have a babysitter's club like future where kids and parents sit down to watch babysitter's club or a you know, dog man series on Netflix and everyone's in, having a good time. I don't know. Be curious to see, but that's interesting. I don't think the original books are that yet. Uh, also book talk, really interesting email from a listener who um, would, would like to be renamed, na- re- remain nameless for reasons I, I think I understand just in terms of identifiable um, personal info, but was a general manager at a chain bookstore relatively mm. recently and left and wanted to give some anecdotes about how the chains are on the book talk trending stuff. Like what's selling, like had a whole table up their store for like what's hot on book talk kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they both died at the end by Adam Silvera, which I think, I think in the moment I said, I think that one's a book talk one too, in addition to We yep. Were Liars and um, 
Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Yeah. And indeed it is. Indeed it is. But also, if you go to Barnes & Noble, their webpage right now, or Books A Million, other places, they have like a tab at the top for like Book Talk books. Um, you go into most chain bookstores. Now, I haven't been in a chain bookstore in almost two years at this point, so I'm a little out of the loop uh, for sure on this. But it sounds like it's a known quantity. Mm-hmm. And... I was thinking about that after the show last week, and I was like, this shows that book talk as a thing, and especially as contrasting, as, I, as we said, to like Reese's Book Club or Oprah's picks, or none of those picks were making the, the best-selling books of the year so far list. With all the talk about TikTok and all the talk about book talk, is those, are those number of books that we can identify as book talk books and that level of sales, is that over whelming you with book talk influence knowing how big TikTok is right now mm-hmm. underwhelming you or whelming you like what is your whelm status about <laughs> okay there were three books those were there there and those are the sales numbers were you surprised on the upside downside or kind of what you expect from the zeitgeisty stuff going on on book talk right now I think I'm whelmed by okay. it that you know it's three books TikTok is really big I I think the meaningful distinction is that these are backlist that don't have yeah. current marketing budget around right. them. So it's very clear that TikTok is what's driving these book sales. And that's a, that is a trend that we haven't seen any other, I don't think mm-hmm. any other form of social media do in a way that's trackable or any of the celebrity book clubs. Because like crawdads had a huge marketing budget and a bunch of people picked it and it was featured all over the place like some of these big books that get picked by celebrity book clubs and then that show up when buzzfeed does a piece about like celebrity book clubs are creating bestsellers it's like well that already like it that had a million dollar advance mm-hmm. and it had a huge marketing budget that was going to be a bestseller regardless because the publisher was really invested in making it one um so i think it's i think i am whelmed that it the, it's really interesting what the kind of what kinds of titles these are um romantic tragedy right i mean not to spoiler yeah, alert or whatever with, but um, that's the seems to a, be the the chosen genre and, or uh, yeah and our colleague danica sort of hung a lantern on like it's sort of romantic tragedy and often with some sort of like queer angle or mm-hmm. a focus on lgbtq characters and we were joking at one point about like you know, you could generate guesses about what other books in recent backlist fit that mold and try to see if any of them mm. would show up on TikTok in the future. Um, it's really interesting to me. I think it's smart that Barnes and Noble is paying attention to this and that and there was a piece on NBC News this week that we could link to in the show notes that talks about this same thing and interviews um, some folks from Barnes and Noble higher up um, about how they arrived at this merchandising. And it's, you know, this is what's trending on TikTok, and it's actually trending in a way that is already generating book sales. So highlighting yeah. it just you know feeds into that a feedback loop that that we know does work for selling things in general and selling books specifically. Um, mm-hmm. It's really really interesting. I kind of I wonder. I want to hear publishers talk about this in like a much more candid way than you're ever going to get publishers to talk about it publicly because publishing. Um, because it's it's interesting and notable that these are backlist books and that this is not something that you can manufacture with marketing or with placements. You know, these are this is the product of genuine enthusiasm and word of mouth. And yeah. anytime something takes off like this, I assume this happens in other fields too, but we see it in publishing that anytime something takes off, everybody starts talking about like, well, how can we market our books to the TikTok audience? Or how can we get like sponsored videos to talk about our books? And then maybe those books will go viral. And I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes these recommendations compelling. And it's that they're genuine and unprompted by anything other than the reader's authentic response and that desire to share it and connect with other readers. Um, are you, I don't, I'm Are you whelmed? What do we think about the kids in TikTok? Well, you know, I, I guess I've been a little bit, um, my priors have been sort of constantly updated around TikTok. Like, you know, mm-hmm. th- th- it's really the first social platform that I'm out on, right? Since I've been doing this, like yeah. I know what it is. I don't have a TikTok account. I've seen TikTok videos, but mostly because they're like reposted into YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and other places where I, you know, I am more comfortable. Um, I don't tend to like social video; it makes me uncomfortable. I, I know this is going to be come as a shock to you that I'm not super <laughs> interested in seeing actual people do actual things in their lives. Uh, you're not going to be doing like the flossing dance on the internet anytime soon. 
If you ever see me do that, that's a cry for help. Send in the SWAT team. I'm trying. I'm just picturing it and imagining like the number of hours of practice that would go into it. I've had children in my life try to teach me and it ain't pretty. I think if if I needed to floss in order to send friends and family a coded signal that I needed help, I don't know that I could do it if my life depended on it. Is, it would be is, like... Is, is Dad doing the Macarena? Is that the delivering. twist? Wait, I don't think that's the twist. He's going... Not twisting. That's more back and forth. Jeff, blink twice if you need help. Anyway, uh, back to your original question, which is I was hoping you would ask me because I was thinking about this this week, is... I think if you would have told me this four years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> TikTok mm. is a beast, right? Because, and, and this is where I want your help, is I don't remember an equivalent thing of looking at bestseller list with you and saying, that's a Facebook hit. That's an Instagram hit. That's a mm. Twitter book mm-hmm. that we can account to. Like, yeah. We've yeah, had this cloud them. of social and how it matters. But in terms of saying we can attribute pretty... I, I'm comfortable saying at this point that these books aren't here without, and they don't sell nearly as much as they do. They're not appearing now on these lists without TikTok and TikTok alone, right? Mm-hmm. Which is remarkable, actually, that this is now the most powerful book selling force we've seen on social. Like, I think other yep. things have contributed to like the tide of word of mouth amplification, and those spaces matter, but to singularly matter in this way, um, I think is fascinating. I think the other thing I would like to know is how front heavy is this list? Like, what are the next 25 books that if we had the truth out there um, about TikTok contributing to their sales, Mm. are there a whole bunch of other ones that have sold 40,000 copies or 20,000 copies as backlist titles? As you know, that's a huge deal too. Yeah, it's it's a huge deal. And I think some of it has to go just to base rates of usage you know like it's like 10 percent of americans are on twitter and even fewer are active and twitter's been around long enough that it's not cool for Mm -hmm. teens it's not cool hello fellow kids hello fellow kids yeah (laughs) yeah it's not cool anymore and i just googled tiktok has 80 million monthly active users in the u.s which is way more triple yeah three to four times I think what Uh, what Twitter does and most of them are in the 16 to 24 age range so just the powerhouses of what what advertise that's the group that advertising wants to target (laughs) mm -hmm. that you want to sell your stuff to and word of mouth is really powerful there Um, I I think you're right if we had heard about this four or five years ago of like a social platform is going to be able to do this and they're going to do it with backlist books yes I would have been like, oh, how? How? What? Um, is this, you know, what's going on with that? Yeah. That, that TikTok algorithm is pretty, like, frighteningly powerful, as I understand it. I think that piece is, was mis, under, under understood by me in terms mm-hmm. of what the, what TikTok is as a medium, that what TikTok knows it, like, what the technology that drives it that makes it a little bit different. Like, this ability for the algorithm, or not even ability, I think all the platforms is the ability. This desire on the part of ByteDance and TikTok to have a pathway from people who have like sort of no following to become pretty damn famous pretty quick based on algorithmic or other kinds of things that it's doing seems like it's really putting lighter fluid on virality in a way we haven't mm-hmm. seen before. And I think another thing is who's on TikTok and how they use it is different than who's on Twitter and how they use it and who's on Facebook and how they use it. And the pre, the algorithm right now in TikTok is not just neutral like it was in Facebook and Twitter in the old days, but it's actually trying to amplify creators. And what yeah. we've seen over time is Facebook and Twitter clamp down on that. And I think it's interesting. We've always wondered from sort of a company point of view, it's like, it's kind of weird that from a from an ad dollar point of view, it's made sense for Twitter and Facebook to be like, we're going to ranch it down the organic reach of stuff so that you have to pay for stuff. Which if you're trying to make a whole bunch of money, I guess it makes sense. But if you're trying to get people to really see a bunch of stuff they really like from the people they mm-hmm. want to see, it seems at cross purposes, right? Right. Yeah, and I think this algorithm is super good at knowing what you like really quickly yeah. and serving you more of it and generating that feedback loop. I read a real, like a really fascinating 
piece a couple of months ago by a person who said, I, I, and if you Google this, I'm sure you'll land on the same piece, mm-hmm. listeners. TikTok knew I was bisexual before I did. Was the That's like the take of the piece. And the writer was like, TikTok somehow gleaned from the other things that this person was it was liking and was interested in on TikTok that it should start showing them content related to bisexuality yeah. and that and then and they were like oh that's interesting and then over time of like seeing this content realizing that they related to it had the, that like light bulb aha moment of like oh actually this is a piece of my identity and TikTok somehow knew this from my interests and interactions before I did right yeah <laughs> that's i mean this that's bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some machine learning stuff going on there that's pretty wild. Um, and I don't, I assume Twitter and Facebook and some of the others have done similar things, but I think they've used their machine learning and targeting for other purposes. And I yeah. don't know, you know, one of my questions has been in talking to publishers um, about, you know, TikTok as a brand play, as an advertising play. Should, should, what if Book Riot had stuff you could sponsor on TikTok, things like that? is I'm not sure that you can ride the lightning, right? I don't yeah, think you can ride the lightning. Can. It's like saying, you know, it'd be, you know, lightning would be a great source of power if we could just know where it's going to strike. It's like, well, except that that's the thing about lightning, unless you've got a DeLorean and a Mr. Fusion and Doc Brown, you, you need some unusual circumstances to be able to ride. The, the nature, the mm-hmm. power of the lightning um, is part and parcel of its unpredictability. And I think probably right now your best guess would be to see that there's a market out for these kinds of books, right? Try to put more of them out and think about like publishing really frankly does right now. It's like they need to bet on all the roulette wheel squares, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like investing in an index fund. Not all of them are going to be winners, but you're going to hit enough that more bets on more different kinds of things means you're going to have more winners and those winners pay for everything else. I think What's happening now is that this is just where word of mouth is. There is no crawdads yeah. this year, except for crawdads, okay. right? Um, <laughs> but this is where those kinds of things are going to happen. This is Fifty Shades. Fifty Shades mm-hmm. happened word of mouth. Yep. Maybe other things can still take that traditional, but this is word of mouth. This is just all we're talking about it's now. Just Clinton, word of, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just word of mouth. And then in a lot of ways, I think TikTok <laughs> is the natural kind of end point of social media. It's video. Right, it's as close to in person as you're going to get. So it's not just images. It's not you know, Twitter was the basic. It's like code. You can send 140 characters. That was the very beginning of social media. Then we had a little more characters. Then we had links. Then we had images. Then we had some video. But this is really, I think, the end point of it is where there are many production houses and these are many video studios and people are doing and becoming visually eloquent on their phones in a new kind of way that we've never really mm-hmm. seen before. And I do feel like it is the, it's not, I mean, TikTok happened to get the right things and were motivated in the right way um, to have the short form video be a real thing. But it makes a lot of sense to me that this is the the pinnacle of a social kind of medium Mm -hmm. because it's the closest thing to actually being in the room with someone, which is what I think this is, we're all kind of replicate on social media. Yeah, I, I think so. And that... It, you're watching a person have an emotional response to a book that impacted them. Right. And that's relatable. And you want to go out and have that same experience. The video conveys that in a way that 140 characters or even 1400 words in a book review can't mm-hmm. watching a person have emo- right. have an emotional response is just a different beast. And it's more powerful. And TikTok, you know, I hope in like 10 years, we get a big book about TikTok. Um, I'm reading An Ugly Truth right now, which mm. is the book about Facebook. And let me tell you, I'm just that eyeballs emoji <laughs> perpetually. Like, and I know that Facebook is bad. Your prior was <laughs> pretty bad and still worse. <laughs> it is still yeah, worse. But one of the things that comes up repeatedly is that like one of the repeated issues that Facebook runs into, especially with respect to like how misinformation spread during the 2016 election and like now what we're seeing with covid information is that facebook's algorithm just sees that you paid attention to mm. something and it reads all attention as good it's like did you hover over this for a long time did you click it it doesn't know if you clicked it because you're interested or you clicked it because you're hate reading or whatever right. um and it just serves you more of that thing all attention is the same and it seems to me that TikTok that the coding there must involve 
some magical way that's way beyond what I understand about machine learning to understand what's going on in a user's interactions with a piece of content and be able to more accurately continue to serve material that those users are going to be interested in and like interacting with and that that leads to this blowing like the blowing up and virality of these pieces is that they're serving the right kinds of stuff to the right kinds of users where facebook is like oh you looked at your crazy ants you know 45 really bonkers headlines about the election and now we want to serve you more of Mm. those headlines even though you're a super conservative you're a super liberal person um I think yeah. that distinction is going to be meaningful. And in the long run, like we've never seen a book get made on Facebook. We've never seen a book get Not made on Twitter. Um, there's just, I think there are just too few people and people read too few books in most years yeah, for that to happen. I think that's right. I think that's right. Like I said, I think it's become part of the firmament of what word of mouth looks like that the mm-hmm. normalization of informal personal video, I think is the thing to understand about what, TikTok and word of mouth does writ large, but especially in the world of books where it became normal for people to talk about a book they just read. And then I I guess in this case, cry about, get emotional about it, communicate. That's something other people were looking for. But to really, I I think the word, the the physical parts of word of mouth is a phrase we get lost. And it's like in-person, person-to-person recommendation has been word of mouth for, you know, the existence Mm -hmm. of selling books as we've known it up until you know, five or 10 years ago, but that the kind of interaction you have with someone speaking in a video and doing human nonverbal communications about their excitement or interest in a book is different than just posting on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter about, I really like this book. You could say basically communicate the, the bulk of the same message, but it just lands differently. And we needed, needed, it required a normalization of consuming and consuming and creating informal social video to really harness the power of platform and word of mouth in quite this way, where you get these out of scale um, bestsellers. And I, mm-hmm. I would bet now that we're going to have every year, what are the TikTok books of the year? Or what are the, what are the social video? Will TikTok be the place it happens that's easier to show up? We we see Instagram, we see Twitter, we see all these other platforms. Like Instagram is really going to try to go video first. I'm not sure if people out there know that's coming for Instagram in a lot of different ways. They're trying to catch TikTok because Facebook couldn't couldn't buy it like they did some other competitors in the future. Um, you know how much how much do all of these places converge upon social short form video informally? And so it'll be just what was the social video book of the year rather than what's the TikTok book of the year? I'm, I'd be curious. Well, to and see. and even how long it lasts for TikTok is an interesting and really open question that so far what we've seen with social media is that a platform will have a few really big years and that as those users that were in this target demographic, like 16 to 25, 18 to 25, as those users age out of that target demographic, the folks who are in the next generation of that group are on a different app. It's like something else will come. I think it we're likely to see it be video based again that that does feel like the logical mm-hmm. end point of this stuff and the audio only ones like um what's the I want to clubhouse like, clubhouse yep. I was like talk club mm-hmm. that's not right <laughs> um, welcome to summer in I my bet talkclub.co if you have that domain you could go get a series a round for 12 million dollars right now <laughs> it's a club and you talk in it yeah um that there's something really compelling just about seeing another person. And I think we also can't discount that TikTok and especially book recommending took off in this way in this particular moment where in the last year, we've all spent a lot more time in our houses with very limited interaction socially. And it will be interesting to me to see if TikTok and that like really compelling response to video Mm. maintains. And if the book part of it stays the same as well as we in the US at least continue to come out of the pandemic or attempt to. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and I don't know like we have I think I, I think the prior there is like this happens that there'll be the new hot platform and then something else will come up. The thing I hadn't really thought about before thinking about social informal social video as the terminus of social mm-hmm. media as we have the technology for it is that there's really not a step beyond this. 
to go. Because if you think about sort of Twitter to Facebook, Facebook to Twitter, to Instagram, to Vine, to YouTube, to this, it's hard to imagine, like maybe some sort of VR experience. If you think of the Terminus as being the closest replication you can of in-person interaction that just can be distributed widely um, and asynchronously. I don't see what the next step is. Kind of reminds me of Matt, Mike Shatskin talking to me about over the last 40 years, the book retailing war has been going towards getting the exact right book to the exact right person at the exact right time. Mm-hmm. And Amazon won that for distribution and a whole bunch of other things. But there was a lot of steps along the way of Walden Books and Barnes and & Noble and everything else like that. But the get it tomorrow for 40% off cover price and we have everything, there's nothing beyond that, right? I mean, that's one of the, the terrifying things, I think. Terrifying, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not sure it was terrifying, but like that's kind of the end of getting the book to the right person at the right time. Get it, I guess there could be get it right now. Well, that's Kindle. That's eBooks. That's mm-hmm. digital audio, right? Get it right, right now, yep. There's no way to, com- there's nothing beyond that, so it's hard to compete with that. And I'm wondering if TikTok is bumping up against a boundary like that, that if you were going to, because I'm on a social network that gets people closer to what it's like to be with other people in a room. I'm like, I guess I'm wearing a VR headset. I guess that's the next thing. Like, I don't know what it is, especially on a phone-based platform. Yeah, I think VR might be a way of it. And then there's Mm -hmm. a real, like, futurist version of this that's possible where it's like, let me just beam you straight into my brain. Right, Um, yeah, yeah straight out of like Alyssa Nutting's Made for Love or um, Mm -hmm. Alexander Weinstein had a great story in the collection Children of the New World a few years ago where like the ideas that you have like you can control the layers of your brain that you are and of your thoughts that you reveal to other people so like if you're on the subway and there's a cute guy across from you you can like send one layer over and he'll Mm. be able to hear the thoughts that you're having and the story is about a couple that are trying to decide if they're going to go like full transparency with each other because this is the new move in this in this new world and it's like this is fascinating and terrifying and i hope i I die before that happens (laughs) before we really get to the existential question of do you want someone to have access to all of your thoughts to to all of it at all times yeah i think that's that's like i mean i wouldn't put it past mark zuckerberg to attempt it so Yeah, and maybe the thing we're bumming with, I think that's a good, like, there could be other experiences of of being social with people, but if you think of the phone as the barrier, I mean, I think that's the other thing we're talking about here, is the phone also has improved, you know, and the data networks that go along with it, your ability to record high-quality video, transmit it, upload it, send it, Mm -hmm. share it, download it on the move. So there are social media infrastructure things that are in place now that weren't in place 10 years ago, much like, right. they, you know, we didn't have ISB, you know, didn't have barcodes right, for a long time in book right. selling, inventory management software, shipping, um, all those kinds of things that, you know, we needed some technology to get here. But as my phone exists, I don't see what the next thing is. I know Apple's work on AR augmented reality stuff. I don't think that actually helps you in, in this particular card. I, I do really think that that a lot of what the the opportunity is to get people close to other people in a social networking kind of way is captured by what TikTok is. And maybe you could mm-hmm. beat TikTok in some other way, but in terms of what the format and experience is and how much is a first mover advantage there is, I think is, is super interesting because mm-hmm. no one's competing with Instagram for just like photography based. We had, remember we had a hipstamatic right. and these other things like they're one of these wins per sort of medium, so yep. to speak. Twitter beat Tumblr, um, Facebook beat MySpace, and I'm sure there's other things, you know, one day at a time, and there's a bunch of other things that did it. So for each iteration, there was kind of one winner, but if there's not another iteration, there may not be another winner, I guess is the, mm-hmm. the simple thing to think about. So, all right, let's do another sponsor, and we can talk about headlines. Headlines, news from the world. Uh, I don't know, where do you want to go? You choose. I first. want to get excited about Prince Harry writing a memoir. So you're excited about this. this that's what you just told I... me you're excited about it. I acknowledge you saying that you're excited <laughs> about it. 
this is my affirmative response to your emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Penguin Random House announced this week that they have acquired Prince Harry's memoir, which will be coming out tentatively in 2022. Quote, an intimate and heartfelt memoir from one of the most fascinating and influential global figures of our time. Um, I'm not like a big fan of the royals. Not that I'm an anti-fan of the royals. I just don't particularly care. But I think what's really fascinating about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle is the way that they have broken away from this historic and huge culture um, that Harry grew up in and are talking about, they're talking about life and trauma and, you know, family patterns and cultural patterns that have been unhealthy to them and really doing interesting work in the world. Um, I've listened to a couple great interviews with him talking about these things. And I think it's really important. It feels very of the moment, like lots of people in our culture right now are starting to talk about um, about the experience of trauma, about mental health in a new way. The internet has been a huge part of that. Celebrities are participating in that and seeing someone like the Prince of England. Mm. Um, England, Britain, is there a technical way to refer to this? Didn't he, <laughs> this didn't, is how... <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't he take off his pants or whatever? He can't do that stuff anymore? I don't I've, I've followed this yeah, in that amount he, of way. Like he, 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 took, he took off the <laughs> crown or... He had to give away the ceremonial <laughs> s- wrestling uniform. I don't even know what you what's the, the ceremonial process. spats. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm really interested. I think it will be a good memoir in a way that a lot of other mm. celebrity memoirs are like. This is flashy or this is going to be gossipy. He seems to be a really thoughtful, genuine person who's either truly that or very good at faking it and i'm very interested in this it's a real like speak truth to power by giving up some of your own power yeah um move and granted he's still very rich and still has a a lot of power i'm sure the the royalties will be fine his advance will be fine he's okay he can buy new things yeah He's going to be fine. He also has a like $100 million production deal with Netflix. So he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not worried about Prince Harry's long-term financial security. But I think it's it's interesting. It just hadn't occurred to me. And then I saw the headline. I was like, of course he's going to write a memoir. Um, and I think he should. I'm excited yeah. about it. That's the whole story. That's the whole story. I This reminds me, and I didn't put it on here because, I don't know, we had some other listener feedback thing, and I, I tend not to do three listener feedback mm. segments, but here we go, because I don't really care about Prince Harry, but I think it's interesting writ large, and it connects to something we talked about. We talked about great books written by celebrities. So yes. is, the, is the book itself interesting because of just the content is a different thing, but is the book itself, you know, ha- have its own reading pleasure outside of that person just being the celebrity and saying only things they could say about their celebrity and who they are? We got some listener feedback, and I, I guess there are four names that got floated multiple times Mm. and I'm going to, I want to float them to you and just relay them, but also like, is this a celebrity? I guess it's kind of interesting. (laughs) So I'll start, I guess I'm going to go from, I'm going to go from, um, what I think is, I would probably say has the most likely to get a claim is sort of acclamation as this is indeed a celebrity. And that's Mm -hmm. Trevor Noah for born a crime. Trevor Noah is a celebrity, right? For mm-hmm. not writing yes. books. Born a Crime is very good and a very good listen. Yes. Is it good of its own accord? If his name was not Trevor Noah and it was just some dude, is it a good book? I don't know if you can even it's hard to answer sep- I that question. I, I, I set you up. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's all right. I should know better. <laughs> um, I think the content of the book is so much about how he became who he is and comedy and his work in comedy is how he got famous that you can't disentangle those things. But I think it's a very good memoir. But like the celebrity memoir is just a different game from the this person is a non-famous person who had an interesting life memoir. Um, I guess some. I'm I'm willing to entertain this one. Yeah, Yeah. I'll entertain it. (laughs) I guess if you if you want to think about for uh, something we've both read and talked about on the show before, let's talk about H's for Hawk, for example. It's Mm -hmm. a memoir by someone who's interesting but not famous and has an interesting story to tell. Is born if 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 Trevor Noah was the Helen McDonald of stand up, meaning I guess you know gigging (laughs) in nightclubs. You know what I'm saying? Like he's gigging in nightclubs Uh and he wrote this book. 
Are we talking about Born a Crime like we will talk about H's for Hawk? I think there's a chance no. we are. Oh, okay. No, you're, you're not. That's fascinating. Oh, no. Say more I think about we're that. just talking. I think we're talking about Born a Crime because it has Trevor Noah's name and face on top of it. Right. And that if, and that like it's a perfectly good memoir, but if it had just been published by an unknown mm. name with some kind of mid list advance, I don't think we would, I don't think it would be a cultural conversation piece. So it's not educated. It's culture. not. No. H is for mm-hmm. Hawk. It's not that kind of a book. So by that yeah, no. by that test of it doesn't meet our criteria, because I guess I'm really looking for a book that's equivalent of H is for Hawk or Educated or something like that, that's written by a celebrity. So that one is not it. Another one, Patty Smith. Oh. Patty Smith. Also impossible to disentangle. Right. But that is a really, Just Kids is a really excellent book i, I think, think that i one, agree with you on that yeah that one passes my smell test for so, that's a great book whether she's patty smith or becky jones if yeah. yeah if she's becky jones who you know plays acoustic covers and has been gigging and has some fans but is not patty smith that could be H's for hawk book. or something like that i, yeah. I agree with yeah. you on that these other two i don't i've read books by josh ritter and john darnielle i think is how he says his name so oh. these are lead singers of indie rock bands Mountain Goats, mm-hmm. you know, Josh Ritter's independent. I don't think, th- I don't think I need to call, I don't think need, we need to evaluate their writing chops because I don't even think they really, they're not celebrities. I, I don't count, these aren't celebrities. I don't think. Do you? Not capital C, like A-list in a yeah. way that their celebrity would, I think that fans of John Darnielle and the Ritter guy have bought their books and enjoyed them, mm-hmm. but they're not like breaking out beyond people who already knew who they were and those right. are not household names yeah yeah, yeah. okay those, so those are the four names that appeared multiple times thank you for that feedback that i wish i had thought of petty smith i was especially mad that i didn't mm-hmm. think of petty smith yeah it does it seems like a really obvious one but yeah. I, it also didn't yeah. occur to me yeah, yeah. it's such a good so book. anyway we were talking about celebrity memoirs and uh the harry book so yeah i think <laughs> we can distinguish between the one that you want if you just the content is what you're there for Versus the reading experience is what you're there for. For H and for Hawk, the reading experience is therefore it happens to be about gosh oxen and falconry, which, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and that, I guess that's kind of where I'm drawing the line. Like, would you be there if mm-hmm. you didn't know what the person was or really had no sort of neutral about the content of the book? And I think Patty Smith is the one I yeah. can think of. I, I think that's the winner in the barn for an example. Um, mm-hmm. here at this point. I want to talk about this piece for a minute. Kelly Jensen wrote for us on the site about the Niles Public Library in Niles, Illinois, which is an exurb, I guess, of Chicago. I don't want to recap the whole piece. I think this is, she's on, the thing she's seeing, the headline is, is demolishing public libraries from the inside, which I think is a canny way of putting it. It speaks a little bit to our our, our commentary on the um, Texas library who pulled an event that they were mm-hmm. going to do around uh, the myth of the Alamo or whatever that, that title was, which also we got feedback on. Oh, I forgot about this. this is a good feedback um, from someone who works at Book People, which is the largest indie bookstore in Austin. Oh, yeah. That's like right across the street, apparently, or real close by. They can't keep copies of that book in stock. It's back ordered. They sold the, the, it. Yeah. So welcome Barbara Streisand um, turns her uh, side to the, to the worst profile uh, yet again to this sort of thing. So... Um, but of it's not sort of someone coming from the outside, but it's from the inside, from the board in the case of the library and this case where there was a local election. There are three library board seats open. The local election participation rate, um, Kelly mentions here, was 8.4%. So only the hardcore voters came out in this community. And those hardcore voters elected people who wanted to gut the library of the budget. So you can't say it's not what the people want. Right, because or you can't. It's like, what's the problem here? This is the will of the people. They're duly elected. Everything else, but this is happening. This happens. Mm-hmm. It's it's consistently rated among the best in the country. Sarah won an award last year, um, uh, for public relations and communications. They've raised their circulation. They've raised their users. Really sounds like the model of what a library should be for a community and can be. And some people came in and got out the Swanson. I mean, the, the, this is the Ron Swanson thing of like, just got it. Just got it. Got, yep. got, 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 got. Um, and I'm not sure. I mean, this is what can happen if you don't pay attention, I guess. Like there's a lot of attack vectors on these cultural institutions, especially ones that promote 
things that a certain element is not interested in promoting. Um, but they're cutting all kinds of stuff. And the board would now have final approval on all hiring across the library, taking it out of the local mm-hmm. managers and branch managers' hands. I guess vote. I mean, I'm not sure what to do. Yeah. Like, what's, I guess that's it's, the only thing to do is like to see I, where these power structures are. And you know, I was, I remember, I don't remember where I heard this. If someone knows that on a pound for pound basis, in terms of effort of getting there um, and the impact that you have in a democracy, is like your local school board. Like, mm-hmm. it's easiest to get elected to a school board and you have a huge impact on your local community. I don't think a library board has quite that, but it's not too different. Um, I don't even think about the library board. I couldn't tell you how the Multnomah County Library here in Portland no. is run. So I'm part of the yeah. problem or I guess the opportunity space for improvement is my um, spin on that. <laughs> but I couldn't tell you how my local library is administrated, whether I should be voting for who or what. Yeah, I think it's notable. I mean, low turnout here is 8.4% was the turnout for the election and that many of the roles on the ballot were uncontested. Mm-hmm. So vote and run for something. Run for something. Yeah. Run for something, friends. Um, I read a piece last week. I can't remember where it, it was in my, you know, like morning consumption of what's happening in the world about how this is happening. Um, that that piece was about... Um, city councils that the like MAGA folks are rebranding and shedding the most sort of publicly objectionable parts of their platforms and removing the slogans that they know that people are going to come at them for so that they can package themselves as, you know, nice folks who are running for city council or who are running for the school board or who are running for the library board. And we're not paying enough attention to that. And there aren't enough progressive folks running for those spots instead. And when this happens, this is just a collision of several vectors of, you know, people aren't paying attention. Maybe people don't even know it's a thing to pay attention to. Um, People aren't running for it. The folks who are motivated to run for these things right now are the ones who are motivated to take their power away and to gut them. And the way to combat that is get motivated to run for it and keep it alive and save it. Um, That this is uh, uh, real. And I think Kelly's headline here that this is a warning um, is right on that we're going to see this happen more until we on the left get ourselves anywhere close to as organized as the folks on the right are about going into the spaces where you can make this kind of impact. And we, we've got to get there. It's really worrisome. And, and it, ha- I mean, this happened in 2018 from the left, especially I, I did. I mean, I do follow local mm-hmm. elections, like where a lot of women and women of color in Portland here, and I think it was around the country were, you know, there are, their party wasn't in power at federal um, level. Yeah. And so we're then motivated to find where they could make a difference. And a lot of, Women indifferently ran for Portland City Council, ran for local elections all over the country, did a whole annotated episode about someone who was motivated to run for an office, mm-hmm. goes to the library and picks out a book it. called How to Run for Public Office and Wins Lawrence, Kansas City Commission because she felt motivated um, and that the stakes were high for her to do so. Same reason most um, controlling parties lose midterm elections and then seed control of the House because the, the people out of power are more motivated than the pers- the people in power and don't play defense and leave open these spots and they look for where are the opportunities to make a difference and to further my beliefs, even though the White House, the Senate, the governorship, the state house may have gone the way I didn't want to last cycle. And it ebbs and flows, um, but also it has consequences too. It's like, well, now these things are good. It's harder to get back. And it's way, it's way easier to tear down than to build back up again. I think that's one advantage people who want to gut these things have in the long course of pendulums moving back and forth. Harder to cut a tax, cut budget than to approve new spend just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a race to the bottom and to play defense. But I think I think the optionality, I think the the, the marginal value for those of us who are interested in these sorts of things might be run for school board, run for library board when your party's in power, right? Yeah. You know, kind of think of middling it the other way, um, which is interesting. All right, let's do one more show title and then kind of a, the, 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 the apex of a kind of book-related story we see a lot, but I've never seen one like quite like this before. Um, we get from time to time a story, and they tend to get picked up by local news, or, I don't know, it tend to go viral on Facebook about someone who uh, 
returned the library book after an unusual, I checked this book out when I was a kid and my library fine is a billion dollars, <laughs> but I'm bringing it in today and let's go take a look. This one, Rebecca, <laughs> is, I, I don't even know, like, it's, I, I don't want to, I think this is worth reading on its own, but let's just say this library book was, well, you, you want to you wanna give them the punchline? How old is this library book? <laughs> 300 years old more than that i i don't like the library it came from no longer exists it's and i'm just reading this because okay. you just dropped it in right before we started but a 1704 edition of a 1688 book called the faith and practice of a church of england man has found its way back to sheffield cathedral in england around 300 years after it was checked out of the cathedral's library and 200 years after the library was dismantled <laughs> Like, how, how? Um, the, the book arrived in the mail Yeah, last this is week. the piece I love. Go ahead for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. we can uh, Discovering this in real time, it was accompanied by a note from a woman in Wales who said that her recently deceased godmother had willed that it should be returned to the cathedral. <laughs> the inner pages bear the inscription, this book belongs to Ye Linding Library in Sheffield Church, 1709. Ye Linding Library! The multi-generational commitment to not returning this is really amazing. <laughs> like you don't you're not going like, to return it but you're going to build it into your like what is what has happened? What did they want like, they wanted to keep this in their life? They were so oh, ash- like generational shame about returning. Like what is happening right, here? Like like the godmother clearly knew where it was supposed yes. to be. How many other generations knew that or did the god I have so many questions now. Like did the godmother just sort of inherit this when their parents passed away and it was like, "Oh crap, now we have a 300-year-old book and I don't want to deal with it, so I will will that the person who has to clean up after me when I die is the one who's going to return it. I, I, I don't. I feel like you could backwards engineer <laughs> like a YA trilogy that this was the last chapter to. That yes. this whole generation of women in this family had to protect this book from demons until the strike of the stroke of midnight when the ninth daughter dies, right? It's like, and only hocus, then can hocus. they be free of the curse. Uh, and they can give the library book back or something like that because I don't, I don't understand that. I, I guess it could be in a family collection. Like some, this is an old book. I guess especially when this book first came out in this life, these books were massively expensive and valuable. And I guess someone stole it or they moved um, or somehow became incorporated into a family collection. And at some point along the lines, you know, in the last twelve generations of this family, <laughs> like yo, dudes. This was due 200 years ago. This isn't well, even our book. It, this is kind of a Schrodinger's library situation, though, because if you have... <laughs> that's a show title. A wonderful show title. <laughs> if you have a library book from a library that no longer exists, what is the ethical imperative? <laughs> Did they realize they wasn't their book after... This is they, here, we don't even know when this library was destroyed. It says yeah, sometime in the 19th it's century. Yeah, yeah, 200 years ago. So at least like eight of those 12 generations <laughs> have not been able to return the book because there was nowhere to return it to. But somehow the godmother here decided, well, it should at least go back to the cathedral, even if the library... Now I want this YA movie that you're pitching. Yes, I think this is right. the opening scene. It's like someone in 2021 oh, opens the mail like and there's that. this yeah, book. Yeah. And they're like, what's what's the story with this book? And then it would rewind back to the, those generation, yeah, <laughs> generations yeah, you, you of women. Up, I like that. You pick up, the opening scene <laughs> is um, Jennifer, age 16. Her godmother's just died and she gets called in because your godmother's left yes. you something in the will. And <laughs> the, you know, the, the creaky old probate gives you this giant text <laughs> that's a billion years old saying, you need to return this book. To ye lending to, to library, to ye lending library that doesn't exist, and <laughs> in my fantasy version of it, you actually have to return it to the library that doesn't exist. Like you have to go back in time or find an altered dimension. Yes, like you, you actually have to ooh, get there, right? It's like Hocus Pocus meets Back to the Future. Can you give me the the ten second thumbnail of the plot of Hocus Pocus? I think I saw it once in the mid '80s. So I, I what's the Hocus Pocus there's, hook here? There's like a cursed 
book that if you you I I think there's I think it's in the book these kids come across this like old cottage they find this book of spells and when you do the book of spells which also happens to be on Halloween night it summons the Sanderson sisters and Uh. the Sanderson sisters are going to like come after the children unless a virgin lights the black flame candle (laughs) and there's singing and there's a cat that talks because he's actually a human boy from 400 years ago who's trapped in the body of a cat but i think that hocus pocus is the right flavor of vehicle for a story like this plus back to the future okay yeah so we're not we're not talking shadow and bone here we're lighthearted. this is fun zany yes through time and space. there's whimsy mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i also there's there's multiple leads to bury here the title is The Faith and Practice of a Church of England Man. A real page turner. Yeah. Some dudes, you know, how I'm pious. Also, it's a 1704 edition of a 1688 book, which means yeah. that The Faith and Practice of a Church of England Man was in print. <laughs> There's multiple editions. For, for multiple decades. <laughs> well, how are the Church 16, of England At least 16 years of print. Supposed to know what fa- to do. I don't know. If there's a thing that I know about generations of men, it's that they like to write books about how they should, how they behave, (laughs) what people should do. Really tough stuff, but a wonderful story. (laughs) More questions than answers. I should say this is a piece of Newsweek by Carolyn Tien. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes, as there always is, to the stories we talk about. Bookriot.com slash listen. You can send us feedback. Podcast at bookriot.com. And uh, if you pitch this movie, just give us credit. You know, just 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 a special thanks. I don't need points. I don't need a, no, anything off the back end. Invite us to the premiere. Yeah, yeah, or even just you know a shout. You know, tag us in your gown on the red carpet. That's all we need there to do. There you go. All right, <laughs> Rebecca. Thank you. Have a good one. Talk to you next time.